Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, good morning and welcome to Movement Church. Hopefully between that uh, loud noise there, maybe some bacon that you got if you're a dad or just if you bribed an usher, hopefully you're, you're awake and uh, you're, you're paying attention. Uh, I've had many people comment on my shirt today, which I thought was a no-brainer to wear, and then apparently no one else got the memo. So um, I will just say this, hashtag all in, hashtag Believeland, hashtag I'll probably be crying next week. So I wanted to, I thought it was better to tell you now so that you could surround me and support me. So uh, anyway, we've been in this series uh, called Movement at the Movies, and we've been uh, excited about that. I think everyone in here uh, would probably agree that, that in some way you love movies. Some people are the kind of uh, people that, that love to buy advanced tickets, love to go to the theater. Some people love to uh, hide in your basement alone and watch Netflix. And, and, uh, but no matter, no matter what kind of movie watcher you are, I'm sure that you've got favorite movies, movies that you love to talk about, movies that you love the, the character and, and, and the, the plot development and all of that fun stuff. And so our goal uh, in doing this series this summer is not to say that you should watch movies and draw your theology from them. No, it's, it's simply just to say uh, that we believe all truth is God's truth. We know uh, that his word tells us many things uh, for life, and we think that some of those things are, are paralleled in movies, and so this is kind of just our fun way for the summer uh, to wrap truth in, in a different skin, and so we're kind of uh, at the intersection of where faith and film collide, and so a few weeks ago, uh, we did the movie Inside Out. Uh, we, we've had a chance to, uh, to do some, some other movies and, and some fun things. Uh, last week, we did Captain America. Uh, this week, we're going to be doing a movie, uh, something a little older. I've had some people say, you're not doing any movies from my decade. You're not doing any movies that I've watched. And so we decided to, uh, to throw it back a little bit. And so uh, this week, our movie, as you may have figured out if you were here for the opening song that the band played so well with an 80s guitar effect that made my heart just skip a beat. Uh, our movie is, is Top Gun, and Top Gun is a 1986 uh, American action drama, according to Wikipedia and what I'm reading right now. Uh, the film stars Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, Val Kilmer, Anthony Edwards, and Tom Skerritt, and Cruise plays Lieutenant Pete Maverick Mitchell, a young naval adi- aviator fighter pilot aboard the aircraft carrier USS Enterprise, and he and his RIO, uh, Goose, are given the chance to train at the Navy's Fighter Weapons School at Miramar in San Diego. And so the movie tracks uh, he and all of these guys with, with weird names. We get to follow Slider and Iceman and Merlin and Hollywood. Man, I really want to nickname all of a sudden. But we get to follow these guys and see how they're some of his uh, greatest friends and, and his enemies at the same time. And we get to see him grow up as that story unfolds. And because of the, the time period it was made in, they even uh, found a way to parallel the narrative of the Cold War and get the Russians involved. So clearly it's a classic. Uh, we, all, we all love that. If you haven't seen that movie, shame on you. But without further ado, here is the anniversary theatrical trailer of Top Gun. Feel the magic. I'm sure that you can feel the magic there just as you, as you watch that. Believe it or not, there was a time that people uh, liked Tom Cruise and didn't consider him a crazy guy that jumped on the couch on Oprah. But many of you don't remember that. So that's why we wanted to, uh, to tribute him today. Uh, but, but believe it or not, when this movie uh, was made, it, it seemed to, to really capture the heartbeat of America. And so there, there was a time when that just kind of dictated everything. There's a, there's a scene in there. Maybe you saw Tom Cruise with his shirt off a of volleyball scene. Everybody wanted, to be, everybody wanted to be him and have abs like him. And everyone wanted to, to 
represent that movie. And so sometimes certain movies can attract an era and, and everyone just wants to be involved. I remember uh, there was a movie uh, called Backdraft that came out a long time ago and, uh, and everyone I knew wanted to be a firefighter in that day, right? That was just what you wanted to do as an American male. And so I feel like this movie, uh, in the same way, captured an era where people, people they just said, I want to just be a Tom Cruise. Like whatever Tom Cruise is, that's what I want to be. And so in this movie, uh, he was a fighter pilot and he seemed to kind of capture the, the imagination and the heart of, of men and women, and, and, and he, was, he was good looking, he had hair, he, he was successful, everything he did is, is awesome, right? And so we wanted to be Tom Cruise, we want to celebrate what he is and, and do what he is, and, and so uh, this, this movie, though, I, I think kind of sets us up for something. I already alluded to the fact that a few years later we would realize, wait, maybe I don't want to be Tom Cruise, but, but at the time, he, he seemed awesome, right? And so America often sets us up like that. Often we see something glorified, and we say, like, this is, what a, this is what a perfect man is, this is what a perfect woman is, this is who you should be, this is what you should care about, this is what you should be like. And then often we kind of see that unfolding and we see that changing. And so the goal uh, for today, because it's Father's Day, because we've, we've now watched that anniversary trailer and we've seen uh, at one moment in time, frozen in time, what a perfect man was, we want to kind of fuse those two things and we want to talk about what it looks like to be a man what it looks like to be a true man, what it looks like to be a man of God. And I realize that as we talk about this today, immediately half of the room is thinking, I'm not a man, so this has no interest to me. I don't want to talk about this. But here's my thought as we talk about this specifically on Father's Day. Some of you in the room are men or you hope to be someday, right? And so hopefully in talking about this, uh, this will be something that can encourage us, maybe give us a a little kick in the pants, a little bit of a reminder. Uh, We're good for that audience. Some of you are married to men. And so whether you realize it or not, whether you always remember this or not, uh, in many ways you get to to prop us up and hold us together and make it so we're not a wreck and make it so the world doesn't think that we're a dumpster fire. And so you get to control and bless the world of a man. And so hopefully today as we can define and talk about what a man is, it'll help you say, all right, here's here's a way that I can help in that. Here's a way that I can improve. Here's a way that I've I've maybe forgotten. This is a way that I want to help the man in my life. Some of you are not a man. Some of you are not married or engaged or dating a man, but there's a man in your life. Maybe it's your father. Maybe it's some guys you work with. Uh, We want to talk specifically, though, today, what does it look like for you to be in their lives? What does it look like for you to hopefully help them be the man that God wants them to be? What does it look like for you to encourage them? And maybe, without going into overprotective dad mode too much, maybe someday those of you who aren't dating or married to a man yet will not pick a total deadbeat that I don't disapprove of because we've defined what a man is a little bit better today. And so that's one of my goals also. So I want to uh, have us jump in uh, to a passage today and talk about what a man is. Our big idea for the day is simply this. Don't send a boy to do a man's job. And so we want to define who a man is, what a man is, and what his job is. And so today I want to uh, push us a little bit, make us think a little bit, but we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now you know that the book of Genesis is the first book in the Bible. You know that there's, uh, there's only two chapters before Genesis chapter 3. And so you can turn a few pages over and you'll, you'll find that right there up front in your Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. And this is not a story that I think most people would say like, let's read, let's read the account of Adam and Eve and talk about what it means to be a man. I don't think that that uh, is necessarily the intended purpose of this passage. But I think as we look at this story, we can kind of draw some things, uh, learn from some things that maybe Adam did wrong. And so we want to be in Genesis chapter three today and and talk through these things. We're going to start uh, in verse six, Genesis chapter three, verse six, and learn from the example of Adam and Eve. Now, many of you know, most of you know, you probably know, you've heard the story of creation. God created Adam. 
God created Eve. God put them in the Garden of Eden, and he said, I want you to, to worship. I want you to live your lives as a response to me. You can enjoy things. You can do any, anything you want. I don't want you to eat from this one forbidden tree, though. And so that was kind of the, the background, the narrative of this story. As I say that, you're like, oh, yeah, my grandma told me that story once. Or I grew up in church. You remember that. But that's the background of chapter 3, verse 6. And so here we are catching up with our lovely couple, literally the only two people on earth at this point. So they're kind of popular. All right, here we go. Verse 6, it says this. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now, we just jumped into this. I know what you're thinking, right? And you said, Mark, they could kind of do anything they wanted. They just shouldn't eat from that one tree. So we skipped to verse 6 and make them look terrible right away because they, they see the fruit and they eat it. And so Eve was tempted she, she probably wanted, you know, hey, if, if that's going to make me think or, or look different, I, I want to be a part of that. Uh, Satan, as a, as a serpent, had told her, you want to eat that fruit, it's going to be awesome. And so she gave in and, and she did that. But here's what it says that I think we miss sometimes. Verse 6, she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So I know often I hear guys making jokes, Eve ate the fruit first, <laughs> or stuff like that, and we think we're awesome, right? And, and yet, I, I, I this week was reading this and, and thinking, so Adam was there the whole time, just like hanging out, just kind of in the background, like, hey, go ahead and sin there, Eve, I'm just going to stand here and say nothing, let me know how that goes. He didn't say anything, he just kind of let this happen. Verse 7 says this, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Anytime you're sewing together leaves to cover your naked body, things aren't going well. We all agree, right? All right. So uh, this, is, this is what is said here, though. It says when they ate this fruit, when they disobeyed God, that when they went against his wishes, they did the one thing that he had asked them not to do. It says that their eyes were opened. There's a word uh, in, in, the, in the original text here that you hear, you'll hear this word often. You hear the word shalom, and shalom describes perfect peace. And so scholars will say that that's what existed in these moments when Adam and Eve were created and they were in the garden. There was a perfect peace. There was an understanding of who they were. There was an understanding of who God was. There was a rhythm between God and his creation, and, and things were great. Things were as they were intended to be, and yet Adam and Eve took things into their own hands and decided that they wanted to, to follow their own path and that they knew better. And so as they did that, as they ate this fruit, they realized that something was wrong. Instantly, there was that recognition, what have we done? And they realized that they were exposed, that they were naked. And verse 8 tells us this. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So there was a point that they had been secure in their relationship. It's not like suddenly they, they lost their clothes, right? But suddenly as this happened and as they were awakened, they realized that something had changed, that perfect peace had been lost, that their relationship had been altered. And so suddenly now they're hiding from God, someone that they've been in relationship with, someone that they've been talking to, they've been in communion, maybe you'll hear the phrase say, they were living their lives as worship in response to God's goodness in the environment that he had created just as he had intended and then things got screwed up, and so now they're hiding from him. They begin to, to feel shame, and, and we already talked about the fact they started making basically underwear out of leaves, right? And they're sewing these things together, and, and verse 9 says this, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
I think that's interesting, but I feel like God is basically calling out and saying, hey, I want to I find this guy. I want to talk about what's happened, what's taken place. I want to see what they've done. I want to address the fact that things have changed. And so they're not playing a, a cute game of hide-and-go-seek, but God is calling out to them. And Adam says this in verse 10. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam's feeling the shame of what he's done. Verse 11 says this. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And so God has kind of addressed what has taken place, and now he's kind of shifted the conversation looking for a little accountability. We've all been there as parents, or maybe we've had parents ask us these things, right? Who put a hole in the wall? Why is your brother's face bleeding? Something, something like that, that that we all know, and they're, they're basically getting us to just fess up to what's taken place. And so Adam, being the tough man that he is, kind of throws his wife under the bus and says, like, the woman that you put here with me, she, she did this, and she gave me this fruit, and kind of turns it all around and, and begins to reposition things. Let's skip down to, to verse 17, because there's a point where the blame can't be shifted anymore, and where Adam can't avoid what's taking place, and he can't blame someone else, and he just has to admit, and, and God says this to him. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you... You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And so there are beginning to be consequences because of what they've done. And they, at this point, had been living and and farming and preparing food. And so God said, you're still going to do that. But guess what? It's going to be much, much more difficult. And the things that you've been been doing that have come so naturally and come so easily in this environment, they're not going to be the same. Verse 19 says this, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so not only is farming going to be difficult, but now they're, they're kind of referencing the fact, hey, you came from dirt and you're going to return to dirt because you're, you're going to die. There's, a, there's an end to your life. There's an end to what's taking place here. And things are never going to be the same because you did what God asked you not to do. And so accountability enters into this scene. But I want to skip us ahead to verse 21 because I love that even in the face of what had to be devastating... We're looking at the, the world, and, and everyone that exists on the world, much like now, is, is now a, a sinner and is separated from God and has changed their relationship with him. But verse 21 says this, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So Adam and Eve had, had gone against God. They had, they had messed up. They had changed their relationship. They had ruined this perfect peace and everything that existed. And yet God in his mercy did something for them. Even though they, they had believed this lie and they had tried to almost make gods out of themselves and they had wanted to open their eyes and see what they could discover and see who they could be, they had put a distance between them and God. God still had a heart for them and had compassion for them. And so because they believed the lie, maybe you've heard this in Sunday school, something had to die. And so scholars believe that, that, that God probably killed a lamb in that moment and, and took its skin and made clothes for them to, to cover their shame. And so even though they messed up, even though they had gone against God, even though they had created a distance, even though they didn't want to choose the path that he had set out for them, God still in his mercy was able to use and, and take the life of, of something that wasn't connected, something that was innocent, was able to take a lamb and was able to cover their shame and cover the mistakes that they had done and restore things in some way. 
Anyone that knows the the overall narrative of the Bible, you have to see the imagery there. That even though people had sinned and even though people had messed up, uh, an innocent lamb that later on in the New Testament we see the imagery is, is Jesus was able to give his life. And because of his, his sacrifice, because of his death, their brokenness and their shame and their separation from God was covered. God's mercy changed those things. And so the reason that I wanted to go through that story is because today we're going to talk about what it means to be a man, what it looks like to support and prop up the men that are in our lives. And, and the only reason that we would listen to the, to the Bible, you wouldn't listen to it because, because you think that I'm intelligent or because you were just like, I want to go somewhere today where someone will tell me what to do and preach at me. No, hopefully throughout the narrative of the Bible, you see a story of a God who has a heart for you and has compassion for you. And out of his mercy, all throughout the Bible, he has pursued us, he has wanted relationship with us. And in the New Testament, we see that he sent his one and only son to give his life for us, to sacrifice for us, so that our relationship with God could be restored. That's the backdrop and that's the narrative that I want to be able to tell us what it looks like to be a man of God today. We're broken, we're naked, we're confused, we're ashamed, and yet Jesus came as an innocent lamb and gave his life. And so when we say that you shouldn't send a boy to do a man's job, the first thing that a man should know is is that his life is anchored in a relationship with Jesus. His life is anchored in knowing who God has called him to be. We've said that you can't send a boy to do a man's job. What does it look like to be a man? What's the job description of a man? Well, the funny thing is, as we look at this story we just read uh, with Adam, we can basically just look at his life and do the opposite of what he did, right? Adam's not here to defend himself, so we'll just pick on him a little bit today. We like to think that we're smarter. We know that we're not. We're in need of grace and we're in need of God's mercy also. But let's look at exactly what a man's job is, what a man's job description is. What does it look like to be a man of God? Well, the first thing that a man does, he leads his family and relationships spiritually. The first thing that a man does, he leads his family and his relationships spiritually. And so we, we looked at that passage. We said that, that Eve ate that fruit first, but we also had to admit the honest truth that Adam was there the whole time. He could have spoke up. He could have said, hey, I don't think that's a, a great idea. Hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. Hey, Eve, I got to be honest. There's only one other person we've ever talked to. It was God. He told us not to do that. I don't know if you remember that. And yet he sat by and let that happen. And yet we see all throughout scripture, God is calling men to step up and lead their countries, their families, their churches. And yet sometimes we don't, we don't do that. We see that right here with the example of Adam. He just sat by, let things happen. He sat by and, and didn't step up, didn't say anything. Have you, ever, have you ever gone running with a friend? Sometimes we, we, we like to run, we like to work out different people in the room, and maybe you've thought like, hey, they like to run too, we should run together. And, and you, you go and get on all of your, your sweet dry fit gear, and you put on your earbuds, and you do all that stuff, and there's always that moment, because I've had that moment, where you think like, hey, we're going to run together, and you, you get ready to run, and then you kind of have that moment where you like size each other up, and you're like, so who's, 
Who's the fastest person here, right? There's that moment where you think like, all right, my legs are about a foot longer than yours. And so I don't know if I, if I want to, if I want to run. One time I went running with a girl because I wanted to flirt with her and she was like this tall. And so I actually, by the end was just speed walking and flirting with her because it wasn't even, it wasn't even running, right? But when you go running with someone, you have that moment where you say like, who's going to set the pace here? How fast are we going to go? How many miles are we going to run? Where are we going to go? Who's in front? Who's following? We can't just both be like, Hey, we're co-leaders. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? Where do you want to go. No, when you're running, there's always someone setting the pace and it should be exactly the same in our families and in our relationships. All throughout scripture, God has called men to lead. God has called men to be out front. God has called men to set the pace for their family, for their church. And oftentimes we as men don't do that. And so what does it look like if we're going to say, don't send a boy to do a man's job? Well, a man has to understand that he sets the pace. A man has to understand that he is responsible to lead those that are in his life. A man has to understand that you have to lead your family and lead the relationships you're in. That's what it looks like to be a man of God. If you're going to, to be a man of God, if we're going to say, don't send a boy to do a man's job, what, is it, what does it look like to be a man of God other than someone who sets the pace? Well, here's the second thing a man does. He accepts responsibility for his various callings. Right? There's, a, there's a lot of different offices and, and titles in the life of a man. And sometimes we like to think that, that we can just have one. We're an employee, we're a husband, we're a dad, we're a brother, we're a son, but maybe we want to skip out on a few of those for a few weeks or a few months. In this moment, Adam, Adam knew that he was a child of God. He knew that he was a man. He kind of decided to take a break on his family call, right? And, and take a break on the fact that, that he was a husband. And so he kind of just sat idly by and, and waited and, and let things get messed up. And, and then when, when God said, hey, what happened here? I, I noticed you're wearing some underwear made out of leaves. So maybe something's changed in the last couple minutes or something. And he said, yeah. That woman you sent that you made, wow, did she screw things up. You're not going to believe how bad this is now, God. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? No, and instead of saying, hey, you asked me to lead. You gave me your, your direction and your will for my life. I knew about the tree. I was here first. I could have set the tone for my family. No, he said none of those things. He just kind of pushed Eve under the bus and said, like, wow, what a screw-up she is. Is there another woman here I can marry or something? No, she's the only one? Okay, okay. Well, I'll just I'll stick with her then. But he, he didn't accept responsibility. He didn't accept the responsibility of what he had done. And I know that there are a lot of times as, as men that we mess up. I, I was going to keep track of how many times I was a bad husband and father this week, but I, I decided not to because it got depressing around Tuesday, right? But, but there are times that we drop the ball. There are times that we, we mess up. Sometimes we just have to say, yeah, that was me not fulfilling my role. That was me not leading. That was me not stepping up for my family. I see that and I own that and I'm going to get better at that. Sometimes we just have to admit that. And as we look around America, I think we've got to admit that there's a lot of men not being men. There's a lot of people that are still acting like they did when they were 15, pursuing their, their golf handicap more than the relationships that are in their life, more than the, the women and the children and the people that are in their life, pursuing dollar signs more than the titles and the blessings that God has given them. There's a lot of people who put more effort into their fantasy football draft than anything else in their life. 
And I don't, I don't mean to shame anyone today, but you've heard of failure to launch syndrome. You've seen the stats on, on men not growing up and men living at home much longer and men not being men. And that's not 100% across the board a terrible thing, but I think that we would admit that in the church and in America and in our families, we see an identity crisis where, where people don't want to be the men that God has called us to be all throughout Scripture. Sometimes you have to just step up and accept responsibility for where you're at and what's taking place. You may have not expected to be in a relationship. You may have not expected to have that child. You may not have thought that you would be married at this age. Maybe you're not married, but you still have that child. But there's a moment where you have to say, that's a title, that's an office, that's a situation, that's a responsibility that God has put me in, and I'm going to step up and own that. And even though I haven't been great at that in the past, I'm going to admit that, and I'm going to be great moving forward. I'm going to be the man of God that he has called me to be. Adam didn't really do that in this moment. He just said, like, yeah, it was their fault. It was the woman's fault. It wasn't me. Sometimes I think as we, we look around and we look at men, there's a, there's a lot of finger pointing, a lot of name calling. Sometimes a guy just needs someone to say to them, hey, if, if it's always your ex-girlfriend's fault, if it's always your ex-wife's fault, if it's always your last boss, if it's always that church you had to leave, it can't always be someone else's fault. Sometimes as a man of God, you just need to step up and take responsibility You need to admit when you were wrong. You need to be excited and and feel blessed for the responsibilities and the various callings that God has put in your life. If that's being a father, that's an incredible calling. If that's being a husband, that's an incredible calling. If that's being a brother, that's an incredible calling. If that's being a great son, that's an incredible calling. But step up and, and be a man. Be the man that God has called you to be. Lead the people that are in your life spiritually. Set the pace and take responsibility. You can't send a boy to do a man's job, and there are a lot of things that, that Adam did in this scenario that he was just kind of not stepping up. A few years ago, we got a, we got a, a coupon from a friend who worked for a company affiliated with Columbia. We got a coupon for the, the Columbia Outerwear website for 75% off anything we wanted which is heaven, right? We all know that because we don't want to pay Columbia prices. And so we went and we were looking through the stuff on the website to buy some things for our kids. And we found these coats that were already like on this insane clearance and we still got 75% off. And so uh, we bought these like awesome rainproof uh, coats, these adventure coats they were called because they have to have a cool name with Columbia. We bought some of those for the boys and, and we're like, this is your adventure coat. It's time to adventure as a man. And so they, they got to wear them and they, they brought them to church. And our oldest Malachi, I think he was maybe six at the time, he wore his adventure coat to church and we never saw his adventure code again. It, I, we don't know what happened. It was when we were meeting here uh, at the Y. Uh, apparently he was adventuring somewhere in the building, took it off and it just didn't exist anymore. And so at the end of the day, we're like, hey buddy, where's your adventure code? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Don't you have it? And we're like, no, don't you have it? You wore it here. You know, and he's like, oh, I don't know. Haven't seen it. And just like took off for the car. And so we started looking and uh, it was it was like that last day of spring when you needed a coat and it was, it was kind of awkwardly cold. And in the fall, we uh, it magically turned up here again at church one day. We found it in one of the bins back there. So we don't know what he did or how it got in a bin. Maybe he was hiding in there, but it was missing for like five months. And, and that was cute and that was fine. And six and seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, they don't know how to take care of their stuff. And, and that was funny, right? 
And yet it wouldn't be as funny someday if Malachi was like 15 and we're like, hey, buddy, where'd you put that uh, iPad dad bought you? Like, oh, I don't know, it's somewhere, I don't know. You know, when he's 18, hey, dad, where's the, where, buddy, where's the, where's the car dad got you? Like, I don't know, I haven't found it, dad. And when he's 25 and when he's 30, hey, where's that house we bought you? Like, no idea, dad, no idea, right? There's, there's a moment that you have to grow up and you have to say, this is what God has given me. This is who he's called me to be. This is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm gonna step up and, and I'm going to own that. And so most of us would say, yeah, there's a natural progression that should happen. There's a time that a man should, should step up. There's a time that he should own his family and own his calling and be responsible. And, and yet sometimes we, we don't actually see that happen. We don't make that happen. What does it look like to be a man? What it means to lead our family, lead our relationships, accept responsibility. And here's the third thing that a man of God does. He seeks obedience to God in the mission. I mean, in this, in this instance, God said to Adam, do you remember what I've commanded you to do? And apparently Adam didn't because he didn't do it. God's love language is obedience. He feels our love. He feels our devotion. He knows our devotion when we obey his commands. And he has called us to love him. He has called us to live for him. He has called us to care about his creation and about the world, about other people. He has called us to share the gospel. And so as a man... As someone who wants to be a man, as someone who wants to step up and be a man of God, I hope that you are passionate about your relationship with God, and I hope that you are passionate about that mission of following him. There's a lot of things that dads and American men are passionate about, and I always make fun of myself for being passionate about my lawn. Guilty as charged. I mowed it again this week, and it looks incredible. I've got to be honest, right? But... But there's stuff that we're passionate about. We get passionate about golf, and we get passionate about fantasy football, and those things aren't inherently bad, and we get passionate about buying a boat, and we get passionate about a lot of things. But those things are not our mission. Those things are not our calling. Those things are hobbies, and those things are preferences. And so the people that are looking at us, the people that we are leading, the people that God has given us a responsibility to live life with should be able to look at us and see us pursuing God. They should be able to look at us and see us pursuing a calling to know God. They should be able to see a passion for God's people and a passion for God's church. They should be able to see a passion for people who don't know Jesus. They should be able to see a life of generosity and they should be able to see those patterns lived out. They should be able to see those things unfolding in us. And so if someone is looking at your life and all they can see is that you, you're really good off the tee. You've got, a, you've got a great tee shot. Or you're the guy that always gets picked first in pickup basketball. Or nobody has a cleaner car than you. If those are the things that people can see from your life and those are the things that, that they take away, that's all they can see, you're probably dropping the ball. If you want to be a man and you want to be a man of God, people should be able to see God's mission and God's calling in your life. Those things should be rubbing off on them. The thing I love uh, about the example of Jesus, which we talked about, is that in Jesus we see the ultimate example of a man. He never owned golf clubs. At least I don't think so. It's not in scripture and they would have been made by like a vine or something so it wouldn't have made sense, right? But he didn't, he didn't own golf clubs and he never had a, a boat and he never got to got, go, go out drinking with his friends and show them how awesome he was and yet he was a guy who understood his calling. He understood obedience to God. 
He accepted responsibility and he led those people around him. So he was the ultimate example of a man. And the greatest thing about the life and the ministry and the effects of Jesus that even though there are guys like me who often like to act like boys and like to dodge our responsibility and like to not step up and not lead those around us, and we drop the ball and we look back and think, wasn't a man there, wasn't a man there, wasn't a man there. Jesus came and gave his life for stupid boys like me. He came and gave his life, died on a cross, so the things that we've done that were against God's wishes, against God's commands, can be taken away, can be forgiven and be forgotten when we put our faith and our trust and our hope in him. And so my goal for today is not to make every woman in the room think that they should dump the guy they're dating or, or to make every guy feel like a terrible person, but it's hopefully to, to motivate us and to encourage us. And I think for that to happen, I think that for the, the audience of guys at least, we have to have a moment where we say, when people look at me, are they seeing a man of God? Are they seeing someone who leads the people in their life? Are they seeing someone who accepts responsibility? Are they seeing someone who's passionate about about following God and about that mission and that calling on their life? Or are they seeing other things? Are they seeing nothing? I'm hoping that if you're a, if you're a dad, if you're a soon-to-be dad, if you're, a, if you're a guy who's thinking about dating someone soon and you're thinking, I won't be a dad for 20 years, so none of this matters, I hope that you're motivated to be a man of God. Because the world needs men of God. The world was created to use and to be blessed by the influence of godly men who are passionate about a relationship with God and passionate about pursuing him. And so I hope that you can have an honest moment today where you say, when people look at me, do they see a man of God? Are they just seeing a boy, a boy who likes video games, a boy who has to shave a lot and is now 35, but is not really, really a man? What do people see when they look at you? And if you've got a man in your life that maybe you think could use some help in some of these things, you're a woman who would say, yeah, I don't even want to talk about the guy in my life. I hope that you'll commit to praying these things for him. I hope that you'll commit to helping him do these things in some way. Fellas, if if you're struggling to lead your family, maybe you just need to change some of the patterns and some of the behavior. What does it look like to spend time together as a family, to eat a meal together? What does it look like to pray together? Maybe at dinner, maybe before you put the kids down, maybe at some point throughout the day with your spouse, what does it look like to lead your family? What does it look like to accept responsibility? Well, you may have to have a moment where you say, I've got to be honest, I've dropped the ball. I haven't been a man, I haven't led you, I haven't been who I should be. I see the air of that thanks to the terrible example of Adam. I now see that and I want to I change that. What does it look like to be passionate about God and passionate about the mission and the things that he's called us to? You simply have to spend time talking to God. Spend time in God's word. The more we're near to God, the intimacy and the closeness that we develop with God, that'll begin to rub off in our lives and in our actions and on the people around us. So change your patterns, change your behavior. Start to take little steps to lead your family and to be a man, to be the man that God has called you to be, to help the man in your life be the man that God has called him to be. Because you can't send a a boy to do a man's job. Let's pray together. Lord, it is convicting to talk about this. 
It is convicting to, to think about the way that you've probably looked down at, at us, Lord, at, at me, at, at the men in this room and the men in your creation. And Lord, to be honest, you've probably been disappointed with us. Lord, we know that you've called us to lead our families. We know that you've called us to lead our church. We know that you've called us to lead this world, to bless this world as one half of your creation. And so, Lord, we want to be men who are focused on you. We want to be men who lead those around us and set the pace. God, help us to do that. Help us to be honest today and just ask the question, where we're at? How have we dropped the ball? What do we need to change? Lord, help us to to have a moment where maybe we ask our, our mom, where we ask our wife, our girlfriend, our fiance, our sister. When you look at me, do you see a man? What do you think I need to change? Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to be passionate. Help us to make changes. God, I pray most of all that we'll be moved by your love for us, that we'll be moved by your example. Lord, by the example of your son. He was selfless. He was consistent. He was loving. He was the greatest man who ever lived. Lord, help us to look to him. God, I pray now as we worship that you will um, just put things in our hearts and in our minds with your spirit, Lord, things that you want us to change, ways that you're calling us to step up and trust you. Lord, we want to be the men that, that our families need, the men that our church needs. And so we just ask you to move in our hearts and move in our lives, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen.